Having said that, let's turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. We're picking back up in the book of Galatians. We've been in a series in Galatians, um, and we took a, a break to, to over the, the Easter season to, to have a couple of Easter sermons, of course. But we're back in Galatians. Uh, here in our reading this morning, one of my commentators said this, John Stott said that up until this point in Galatians, we have been listening to Paul the Apostle, Paul the theologian, Paul the defender of the faith, but now we are hearing Paul the man, Paul the pastor, Paul the passionate lover of souls. So as we read, um, listen for those characteristics. Galatians 4 verses 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary powers of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, May the truth be spoken and received here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, relationships kind of operate on a, on a weird sort of, in a weird sort of way. Maybe, you know, funny is not the word for it, but it, it seems like the more difficult and trying and frustrating and painful the things around you get, it seems like the closer you get to the people you are experiencing those things with, like it, your spouse if you're married or, or your, your close friends and your parents and your families if you're, if you're single. I, I kind of call it the, the band of brothers effect. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And I think that's, it has to do with, with knowing, with knowing one another and being known by one another. You when you're going through those sorts of things, you have no choice but to be known in, in some way, in some deep ways. And, and sometimes that can feel pretty exposing, right? Especially if, it's, if it seems to be kind of one-sided, right? Like, like you've made mistakes and are now having to deal with the consequences of your mistakes. And the consequences of your mistakes are affecting all of these other people and relationships that are around you. And 
And if you put in, you know, that work to heal, that can be a strengthening thing that relationships can come through those sorts of times, changed for sure, but also stronger. But that relational knowledge is deepened. And, and if you haven't been in that sort of situation, just, just wait, you will uh, at one, some point. But if there's a, a shared point of stress, an illness, a loss of a job, grief, uh, parenting struggles, struggles to get through school, or, uh, or some other circumstance, just, just the, the stuff that happens on a day-to-day basis and in life creates all these opportunities, opportunities to know one another and to be known by each other. And those opportunities apply to groups of people, to, to churches uh, and other, other communities uh, as well, that we, we go through things together and we grow closer together as communities because we know each other more and more through these different stress points. And we have certainly been through that as a, as a church at GCC. In those moments, the, the opportunities don't quite feel like opportunities. They feel like you're, you're being stripped down, and it really involves surrender, right? Surrender to being known, having your, having your, your dependence being put on display. There's a, there's a great lyric. Uh, if you have known me for more than five minutes, you know that Rich Mullins is my favorite Christian artist uh, of all time. One of his songs, Hold Me Jesus, he says, surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I need. So the, the struggle to surrender to this liberating, transforming grace of Jesus, that's, that's really what it is. It's the battle my heart fights to stay a slave to sin. To keep Galatians from slipping back into slavery, Paul reminds them of how they became children of God in the first place. In verse 9, he says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Knowing and being known by God means being a son and not a slave. So there's three things that, that knowing and being known by God shows us. It shows us the freedom of God's grace. It shows us the grace of God's word. And it shows us the word formed in you. So the freedom of God's grace, the grace of God's word, and the word formed in you. Let's, let's look at these three points. First of all, look, look how being known by God shows us the freedom of God's Grace. Verse 4, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that were by nature not gods. And so this is, this is uh, a, a reference back to their former days of paganism and the, the first century culture that they lived in. Like that was a very real thing uh, with astrology and there's a temple to, to Zeus and the imperial cults and all of this stuff. They were, the Galatian church were literally kind of enslaved to this old pagan religion until they came to know God. But then notice Paul kind of changes what he is going to say. It's almost like he, he writes something down and then he says, no, no, wait, well, let me kind of, let me say this in a better way, right? He says, 
He says, now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. And when the ESV is, is translating that, or rather to be known by God, it, it's a little bit wooden. Read it instead, more importantly, to be known by God. That you have come to know God, but more importantly, you are known by God. Not, not know about God, not know a bunch of theology or philosophy as wonderful as those things are. And certainly we are Presbyterians and we love our, our theology, right? But, but real personal relational knowledge. In other words, an encounter with the rescuing love of Christ. That we can know him because he came to know us first. In other words, initiative for membership in God's family rests on him alone. There are many, many families that have this as a part of their story, and, and our family has this uh, as in our extended family as a part of their story. It's like a, a, a young woman who finds herself uh, pregnant and unable to care for the child, and so she puts the baby up for adoption, and then this adopting mother and father fall in love with the baby before she's ever born, and they walk with the mother through the pregnancy, paying the expenses, and, and all for the sake of their daughter who is yet to be born, Right? And there they are at the hospital when she is born, ready to take her home. And, and she goes home, and the only, the only home that this little girl ever knows is the, that of the mother and father who have adopted her. And the only love that she has ever known comes from them. And, and she never knows a day when she did not know the love of her adoptive parents. She knows them and she knows him as father only because he first knew her as his daughter. And no matter what point in our lives when, if, when we become Christians, whether we never know a day when we didn't believe in the Lord Jesus or we can put a, a day and a time stamp on the, the, the moment we prayed the prayer to receive Christ as our, our Savior, no matter what our story, we know God because he first knew us and loved us. Growing up knowing this kind of love, how could she ever abandon it? Leaving the father who knew her before she was ever born. That's, that's what Paul's saying to the Galatians. Having known the love of the father in this way, how can you turn back to your paganism? trading the joy and freedom that comes to us by the gracious love of God the Father for the crushing weight of the obligation to empty religious law. How can you turn back again, verse 9, to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? It's like they're... they're, they're, they're their desire is almost, their impulse is almost to go back into this life of paganism and legalism. And the, the, the legalists that are trying to draw the Galatians back into this slavery to the law, Paul is likening to the same, 
the same sorts of things that, that paganism was. It's like deja vu all over again, right? He says in verse 10 and 11, you observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Because they were now observing these, this Jewish calendar and rites and feasts as a matter of religious practice, as a means of, of earning their salvation and earning more of God's love. They were looking to their own practices and religious good works to save them. In other words, they were making what really is a relationship into a ritual, making following God a matter of doing one's duty rather than receiving God's grace. They were getting the, the indicatives and the imperatives mixed up. <laughs> In the Christian life, the indicatives, the truth statements always follow the imperatives. In other words, it's what is true and then what to do as a result. What is true? We know that we, we know and we are known by God, by grace, through faith in Jesus. Therefore, what to do? We desire to please him with all that we are as a matter of joyful response to his saving grace, not as a means of justification. What is true? Our love for God and desire to know him will rise and fall. But God's knowing and loving us completely and fully will remain absolutely fixed. What to do? We, we recognize that the Christian life is a struggle. We can't get it right all the time. And the Spirit helps us by changing our want-tos. It changes our wanters. As my old pastor used to say, what I want to do slowly aligns with what God wants for me. In light of the same truth that God's knowing and loving us completely and fully remains absolutely fixed and solid, what else can we do? We recognize the struggle, not only in ourselves, but in our brothers and sisters as well. And we demonstrate mercy. We declare grace. That they can't get it right all the time either. And that it's the spirit that's at work in changing their hearts. And that we can't change the hearts of others. And so we encourage, we pray, we help, we forgive, we repent and receive forgiveness. Knowing and being known by God also shows us the grace of God's word. It distinguishes sons from slaves. Verses 12 to 14. <clears throat> Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Paul's going through a little bit of personal history with the Galatian church here. 
Apparently, it wasn't a planned stop on his first missionary journey, that he had some sort of health problems. And, you know, Paul talks a a bit in in the Corinthian letters about his thorn in the flesh, and he talks in other places about, you know, his health problems. And, um, you know, so maybe it was related to that. Maybe it was related to his eyesight. In verse 15, he says that you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me if I'd asked you to, you know, maybe... In ancient times, what that really meant was that a man's most prized possession was his eyes, and that it's sort of like saying, you would have cut off your right hand to help me. You would have done anything for me. He says, you didn't scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God. Then he asks a question, what then has become of your blessedness? Uh, Where is that sense of blessing you have? Other translation says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you felt then? They not only heard God's word preached by Paul, they not only responded to God's word preached by Paul, but they loved God's word preached. It's kind of like those those videos of of parents coming home, parents in the military coming home from a long deployment and surprising their kids in the middle of their class. Like, you want to have a good cry, go you know, look up those videos on, on YouTube. Just the, the joy on their faces and the hugs and the tears when the, when the mom or dad walks into the, the classroom and the child sees and they, they run to them. And that's how Paul is saying they received not only the message of the gospel, but the messenger of the gospel, Paul himself. When you're known by God as sons and daughters, the word of God becomes a source of joy. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, even when the word does the work of correction, it's counted as a joy. Verse 16, Paul says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? In other words, the Galatians are rejecting the truth. They've gone from blessing and being overjoyed by the truth and the the truth teller, but by to to rejecting not only the truth, but the truth teller. Paul, the messenger, they've started treating him like an enemy. The word of God, the gospel, will never lie to you about who you are. The legalists were saying, you have good works to add to your salvation. You can, you can work towards your salvation. You can, you can earn your salvation by observing this ritual and that feast and this sacrifice and that thing. They were lying. They were lying about who the Galatians are. Jack Miller uh, 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 used to be a, a wonderful evangelist, um, had this famous quote. He said, cheer up. You are far worse than you think you are. Because the gospel will never lie to you about who you are, but it also will never lie to you about who God is. Now, the other half of that quote is, you are far worse than you, ever, than you think you are, but you are far more loved than you can ever dare to imagine. God's people will never tire of hearing the truth. And even a poor but faithful preacher is better than a dynamic, engaging ear tickler. And you are called to do that. You are called to be faithful proclaimers of God's word. 
Faithful proclaimers of God's word tell people things that they don't want to hear. Not because they're eager to deliver a blow or to put someone in their place. Not because they're eager to to win a culture war or to take a stand. But because they've had their hearts pierced and convicted by the word. The faithful proclaimer of God's word knows where their righteousness comes from. And they know that it's not from themselves, that it comes from Christ. And in God's judgment, I am justified and righteous before him because of his grace. Faithful hearers of God's word rejoice to hear it because they know that it comes from their heavenly father. Finally, let's look at the word formed in you. Verses 17 through 20, they make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. The the legalists want themselves to be supreme in the lives of the Galatians. They they make much of you so that you will make much of them. They wanted to form the the circumcision clique, basically. Um, Legalists will, will always seek to divide the Pharisees from the rest of us. The, the truly religious from the false, the observant from the lazy. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present, Paul says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The effect of the gospel of grace is that Christ will be formed in you. Not only that your character will begin to reflect his his character, but that you will begin to rest secure in the knowledge of his loving kindness towards you. As the word of the gospel informs your understanding of who you are and who Christ is, you'll cling to him more tightly. He'll become more precious to you. <clears throat> this story has become something of a, uh, an oft-quoted preacher story. I know I've used it at least once, but there's a lot of you in here that haven't been around since the last time I used it. So I, I claim preacher privilege of repeating this illustration. But you remember the show Antiques Roadshow uh, on PBS where people would kind of bring the stuff that they have laying around their house to be appraised by these these historical thing appraisers I don't know I guess just appraisers um and there's this one episode where this this older guy is there and he has this very simple sort of blue and white striped blanket hanging on uh hanging on the the rack and the appraiser is over here and they're just sort of talking and And he said, Ted, the appraiser says to Ted, Ted is the guy who owns the blanket. He said, Ted, did you notice when you came in and I saw this blanket, I stopped breathing a little bit? And Ted said, yeah, I did notice that. He said, tell me about this blanket. He said, well, this blanket's hanging over the the back of a chair in our house. It was my grandmother's, you know, the family legend is Kit Carson gave it to somebody who gave it to her. And, you know, we just use it as a throw rug and the kids play on it. And he said, Ted, do you have any idea what this is? He said, Ted, are you a wealthy man? Ted said, no, kind of taken aback at this point. 
He said, Ted, what you have here is a national treasure. If I were to sell this at auction, and this was like, this had to be in the 90s. If I were to sell this at auction, I could get at least $350,000 for this blanket that had been sitting on the back of a chair and the, the grandkids were playing with it in the living room. Ted and his family walked past it every single day. This common object that was just sort of taken for granted was really priceless. You can grow up around Jesus and the Bible and around words like saved to the point that where we forget that that God loves sinners so much that God wanted to send Jesus and that Jesus wanted to go. Tim Keller says, the great and central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. Let that knowledge be precious to you. Let that indicative drive the imperatives of your life. What would it look like to live out that truth that he loves to show us that he knows us completely and loves us perfectly? That's what he shows us every week as we come to the Lord's Supper. The perfect, complete knowledge of God of his people and his desire and passion for loving us and saving us through the broken body and shed blood of his son, Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we approach the table this morning, we pray that you would impress deeply into our hearts the, the truth of the gospel, the truth that, that we are your children because you set your love upon us before we were ever born. You knew us, that, that you show your great love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that all the, the riches and the mercy of God's grace has been lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to delight in that. Help us to, to delight in you even as we, we walk in the truth of that mercy. We pray that you would help us to be those who proclaim and declare with our lives, with our words, your unfailing word of your faithfulness. And we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.